Thank you for joining us. The Dacus Report is on the air to defend your religious freedom, your parental rights, and other civil liberties. And now, with the latest information, is your host, the president of the Pacific Justice Institute, Brad Dacus. Welcome to the Dacus Report. Thank you for tuning in. I'm Brad Dacus, president of the Pacific Justice Institute. As many of you know, we at Pacific Justice Institute have offices now all across the country, uh, coast to coast. For the first half of the show, uh, we have with us uh, an attorney who's a part of our team who heads up our office out of Illinois, out of Chicago area. Uh, Soren, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, glad to have you uh, on the program. Thank you, Brad. Now, Soren, uh, you've been um, you know, engaged in a, a lot of interesting things since we opened up the office uh, there in, in Illinois. Uh, that's a, a very challenging part of the country, Chicago. <laughs> um, a very challenging part of the country. And uh, it's, it's such a joy to have someone like you with your expertise and your skill set uh, to uh, be a part of our team. We we're very uh, just uh, delighted when you were able to join our team and head up our office there in Illinois. Now, um, you know, we've done a lot of work, as you know, dealing with COVID. And we're going to talk about some of those uh, cases uh, in the second half of the show. But uh, that's not all that Pacific Justice Institute is involved with, is it? Uh, that's right, Brad. Although COVID issues tend to predominate these days, PJI has a, a dedicated team fighting on multiple fronts, including parental rights issues, religious zoning issues, free speech issues, uh, and much more. Okay. Well, what, what other issues uh, have you been uh, addressing you know, there in, in Illinois? You know, the, the issue that comes up the most in Illinois um, after COVID uh, involves the rights of students under under the Equal Access Act. Okay, under the Equal Access Act. All right, so what's, uh, what is the, the Equal Access Act, the person out there who doesn't know what it is? How would you describe it? Well, the, the Equal Access Act is, uh, is a law uh, passed by Congress in 1984 uh, that protects the rights of religious student clubs in public secondary schools. Uh, and just this year alone, uh, the Illinois office here has been able to assist uh, several Illinois high school students at a handful of schools throughout the state to protect their rights under the law. Okay, so why, why was this law needed in the first place? What, what's its purpose? Well, the, the basic purpose of the act is to put religious clubs on equal footing with other student clubs by allowing them the same privileges and access to, to school facilities that other recognized student clubs enjoy. You know, it's it's important to note that once a school recognizes a single non-curriculum related club, it is said to have created what's called a limited uh, open forum. Uh, and with that triggers uh, the act and it entitles all qualified student clubs, uh, like a Bible club, to the same access and benefits of school facilities enjoyed by the other clubs. Yeah, I remember back when I was in high school, this is sort of aging me here a little bit, uh, but uh, I went to school at Plano Senior High in Texas, and uh, this was, uh, I was class of 82, so this is back in like in 1980, 81, and uh, mm -hmm. this is before the Equal Access that was passed, and I wanted to start a, a, a club with a Christian worldview, kind of a club, and uh, the principal there said, uh, said, no, you're not going to be allowed to do it, so I got the national organization from this conservative group to send a demand letter to the principal 
threatening to sue the school. Okay, so I started young. Okay, <laughs> I was even out of high school, and I was already you know, having a, uh, a demand letter set, uh, sent to my principal threatening to sue because he was discriminating. He didn't, he didn't like our perspective. He was, you know, liberal, you know. So uh, as it turns out, he said, okay, fine. Uh, you can do this, but uh, you're going to have to uh, have a teacher sponsoring your club. Well, I went to talk to teacher after teacher, and they all said, no, I, I can't sponsor. No, we don't have time, don't have time. And finally, I talked to Colonel Fish. That was his name at the time, you know, Colonel Fish. He headed up the ROTC program. And, you know, Soren, he was straight out with me, straight up with me. He says, you know, the principal's told all the teachers not to sponsor your club. And I'll never forget this, Soren. I looked at him straight in the face. Now, mind you, here I am, you know, junior in high school. And I looked at him straight in the face and I said, Colonel Fish, what does that uniform mean? To me, that uniform means freedom, liberty. Uh, that's what that uniform means. Colonel Fish, all I'm asking you to do is to do what that uniform tells you to do. And <laughs> pretty good for you know, a junior in high school. And he looked at me, and he shook his head up and down. He goes, you're right. I'm going to sponsor your club. And that's what happened. And, uh, and it, was, it was formed. And... But it was, I had to go through that. And the, the truth is, uh, even since the, the passage of the Equal Access Act, uh, there have been a lot of cases I know we at Pacific Justice had to take on uh, going to bat for schools, you know, you know, even just say with a demand letter, but having to go to bat and defend Christian clubs and schools that for different reasons were barred, censored, silenced. Uh, so what does it take for... A, a club, a religious club, to be, you know, to be qualified under the Equal Access Act, to be qualified to, for the protections provided by this, this law uh, that uh, came into existence in 1984. Right. So the, the act applies to what, quote, qualified student clubs, unquote. And, and what that basically means is that the club has to be student-initiated and student-led. Now, uh, faculty can be involved uh, to monitor, to facilitate, or supervise, um, and, and non-school persons like parents, for example, uh, cannot be regular, regularly and directly involved in the meetings. Uh, now, if clubs do want more involvement from teachers and parents, uh, they have the option to become, to not become, rather, uh, recognized by the school. Uh, but in that case, the, the club uh, would only be able to meet on the campus as an outside community group, uh, providing that such groups are allowed uh, to use the school facilities. Okay, now, I were dealt with clubs before, and, uh, you know, some of the clubs, they say, well, can we have a parent there, can we have a pastor there? And what I've told them, just what you said, is, yeah, you can have parents there, you can have uh outside speakers come in but you need to rotate them you need to make sure that they're you know they're not there the whole time like pastor so-and-so is the only pastor there the whole time you know rot rotate in a, a number of pastors or whatever to to be there so you don't have them one of them controlling i think the, i think the number one concern the reason they have this kind of language there is they don't want it to become basically uh uh you know a sunday school from first baptist church planted there as a student club on campus they want to make sure it's student-driven, student-initiated, uh, that it's, 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 uh, the thrust is from the students, not from some outside group 
just controlling these kids right. per se from a from a, with one, with one adult. It's rather student initiated, but they can bring in outside speakers all the time, right? They can bring outside speakers, absolutely. Um, the, the only thing to note there is is uh, just to, to follow the rules that they have for bringing speakers, uh, and and you have to be clear that this this speaker is not endorsed by the school, um, and that attendance is is voluntary. But absolutely, you can have outside speakers come in. Yeah, I know uh, we've worked with the National uh, School Project, which is now I think called uh, Decision Point, and uh, we actually help help them do uh, revival rallies. So they'd start a Christian club. And this is what we did with our high school in uh, in Sacramento area. Uh, we at the uh, we there was a high school there, Mesa Verde High School. We worked with the kids, and they formed um, two kids from my church. Went and formed a Christian club, and then they reserved access to the the quad, the the, the basic center of the the school, the high school. Last school bell rang, boom! They put on a full blown revival rally. Had outside speakers, outside preacher. Uh, an ex-gay giving his testimony, Bibles handed out. Um, it was awesome. And and the uh, gentleman, Warren Willis, came up from Campus Crusade. He saw it, and he went back to uh, Southern California. We worked with him with a groups of students. He started the ministry, and it's now called Decision Point. They now have offices, you know, ministry offices all across the country. I just want to say, if you're interested in helping to uh, to start these kind of, you know, Christian clubs, dynamic Christian clubs, in your community, uh, just go to the website, Decision Point, or go to pji.org. You can download our website, our, our book called Reclaim Your School, which talks all about how to legally evangelize. But there's some really dynamic things uh, that they can do. And in fact, uh, you know, Soren, they can actually sponsor, if they wanted, a, a baccalaureate service, couldn't they? I mean, they could use the school gym, as long as the school gym is being allowed to be used by other clubs... They can't restrict the Christian club from having access to it and advertising and having a full-blown baccalaureate service with an outside preacher coming in, right? That, that's right. So you know, the, the act states that uh, Christian clubs can't meet on campus um, so long as they do so during non-instructional time. So that's you know, time set aside before classroom instruction or after or, or even during lunch. Um, and uh, you're right. They, 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 you know, with respect to to advertising, the Christian clubs have have the same access to school facilities as other clubs. So that means they can access the public address system, the school newspaper, bulletin boards, uh, any other avenue that the school allows students to use. They they can use, and they can also distribute religious literature. Um, the only thing to, to note, uh, again, is just to be mindful of uh, time-place uh, restrictions, uh, so long as those rules apply equally across the board. Okay, so let's say that the, the drill team uh, is passing out flyers to all the kids about an event coming up uh, with information on it. Then if they, if they allow the drill team, which is a, a, a non-academic you know, group, club, I mean, then... They can't prevent a Christian club from passing out flyers in the same way. Basically, the bottom line, if they allow one student group to do it, uh, they can't prevent the Christian club from, from doing the same thing, whatever that manner of distribution is. They could even have, like, let's say a club, okay, let's say the science club po- posts something 
announcing a meeting or an event they have, and they post it up and with tape on the windows and stuff in the hallway. The Christian club can do the same regarding their meetings or out, and advertise an outside speaker as well, can't they? Uh, that's right. I think the, the key word here is neutrality. So the school has to be neutral in its approach to religious and secular cl- clubs alike. So um, absolutely, if, if uh, certain clubs are allowed to do certain things, then the school could not deny religious clubs the same rights or privileges, uh, whether it's in advertising or promotion or meeting space uh, or anything. You have to treat them equally. You have to be neutral um, with respect to religious and secular clubs. Yeah, so also this applies to use of equipment. So let's say they're going to have an outside speaker in the quad at, right after school hours. They don't have to buy their own sound equipment. If, if sound equipment has been allowed to be used by other clubs, uh, school equipment, they have total free access to that same equal opportunity as well. Right? That, that's right. And, and just to be clear, schools are not required to allow clubs to use school equipment. But if they allow some clubs to use school equipment, uh, then religious clubs must be allowed as well. So once they open the door to do that, they can't discriminate against religious uh, organizations or clubs. Yeah, very good distinction. Uh, that's a, that's a very important. So they're not entitled to use equipment, but if they allow other groups to do it, then they have to let the, the, the Christian club or the religious club have the same access. Now, what about funding? So some schools will have like a budget to give clubs, you know, money or, you know, here's $500 for, you know, for this year for your club and this, you know, can they prevent the religious club from getting funding uh, the same equal opportunity for, for funding, actually funding from the school? Well, well, you're right, uh, Brad. It's not uncommon for schools to have some sort of budget for the student body or for student clubs. And if there is such a budget, then the school cannot discriminate against religious clubs by denying them equal access to funds simply because they're religious. So if other clubs are allowed access to funds, then religious ones must also be allowed access to those funds. Yeah, I I think this goes right along with the Supreme Court's decision in the uh, Coach Kennedy case that just came down where, you know, the coach was, you know, praying in the middle of the of the uh, the field, the football field, 50-yard line, knelt, prayed, and he was told you can't do that. Well, Supreme Court says, yes, you can. But one of the things that in the decision, it was so broad, it wasn't just dealing with coaches and praying at schools. Uh, it, it actually made very clear, government, you cannot use the Establishment Clause in any way to treat religious groups or religious entities or religious people differently uh, than others. And that goes right along with the Equal Access Act and right along with this uh, funding matter. If government allows funding for one kind of group or whatever, they can't discriminate against uh, a religious group, whether it's a religious school or whatever. They have to treat them the same. This was a a landmark decision. Uh, It threw out the the old lemon test. I'm glad they called it the lemon (coughs) test because it's sort of like you know, sour lemons uh, for people who don't like faith. You know, I think it's a good, good name for it. But it was so restrictive. And now the court says, you know what, we're not going to go with that. You know, even the endorsement test is too subjective, allows for heckler's veto, and we're not going to allow that. They basically went back to the original intent of the Establishment Clause. And I think this was just such a grand, groundbreaking case where they just said, look, 
uh, our founding fathers, they never intended the Establishment Clause to be used as a, a censorship vehicle to censor face from the public square um, or from individuals who work for the government or part of the government from being able to express themselves uh, and their faith. Uh, I, I, I think this is just a fantastic decision that is going to be very complementary to what the Equal Access Act is doing. So I, I think that not only do you have protection under the Equal Access Act, I think the protection may even actually be broader potentially because of this historic case uh, that was just decided by the Supreme Court. What say you, Soren? Well, I think that's right. And, and in fact, there's there's other cases that you know also build on this. We have the the the, the main school decision where uh, the Supreme Court said that. Um, the religious schools can't be denied funding in the tuition program there. And even dating back to the Trinity Lutheran's uh, case where the Supreme Court said that the Christian school can't be denied access to funds to build a playground. And, and you can kind of see how the Supreme Court has been heading in this direction for some time. And it's, it's great to finally see uh, a definitive ruling on Lemon and um, we've we've had a number of great decisions in the past week, and it's exciting to to see that. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that uh, that case out of Maine, where the court said, "Look, if you're going to have school choice, school vouchers, you can't tell parents they can't use it for a Christian school." <laughs> so, uh, you know, that was a fantastic decision. This uh, Coach Kennedy case, where is really historic, where they just went much broader than they needed to, and just said, "We're throwing out." These old tests that were, have been used to, you know, uh, invoke a strict separation of church and state, that's not what the Founding Fathers meant. Uh, we're going back to original intent, and from this point forward, uh, we're going to give tremendous freedom under the Equal Access Clause, or under the, uh, the free, free Exercise Clause of the First Amendment, and uh, we're going to limit the Establishment Clause to what it was intended to, which was preventing the government from showing an obvious preference solely to one religious group versus another to deliberately, you know, how it is perceived, irrelevant. But is government actually giving a special benefit to one religious group deliberately and excluding others? That's what the Establishment Clause is about. And uh, I'm really glad to see the Supreme Court finally address that. It's incredible we had that along with the historic uh, reversal of Roe versus Wade, you mm -hmm. know, in the same two-week period, two huge cases for life and for religious freedom. And I know we at Pacific Justice Institute are going to be all the busier as we use these as critical tools moving forward in our many cases. I know right now we have uh, 97 cases in active litigation, and I know your office there in the Chicago and Illinois area is, uh, is very busy as, as well. So getting back to the Christian clubs, because this is a great opportunity I think we should be, be taking advantage of, and uh, it's, there's, there's no reason we shouldn't be taking advantage of it. Uh, but some people do think that, are, are concerned though, that if you have a Christian club, because it is, it's recognized by the school, that somehow that's going to prevent the Christian club from having rules regarding its members or its officers. Uh, is that a valid concern, or do they have the freedom to say, only Christians can be officers, for example. They, they do have that freedom. Uh, in fact, the First Amendment does protect the right of student clubs to select their members and leaders based on the club's beliefs. 
Uh, that's part of the, the club's religious freedom. But we do recommend that the clubs document those expectations in writing. Um, if you have certain expectations for who can be a leader, uh, it's, it's wise to have that um, written down somewhere so it does not come across as arbitrary or, or uh, made up um, after the fact. Okay, what, what about the content? Uh, some of these school districts are are so into the woke, the CRT, the uh, the LGBTQ, uh, intimidating a lot of kids. You know, if the school district finds out that the Bible club is or the Christian club is studying scripture that goes against the the PC or the LGBTQ agenda, can the school come in and say, "Oh, you're you're you can't do that. You can't talk about these issues or that subject. You have to sc- uh, skip these scriptures." Or, or don't sing that, that Christian song. Can they do that? Uh, thankfully not. Uh, they, they cannot. Uh, the students are free to discuss uh, any issues and engage in, in any religious speech that they desire at their meetings. Uh, and the school does not have control over the content of the meeting. Uh, so students are free to, to pray, to sing songs, to read the Bible. Uh, whatever it is they want to discuss, they are free to discuss it. Okay, what about um, as far as regulations? Are there any kind of restrictions they can place on Christian clubs? You, you alluded to it a little earlier as far as needs to be either before school or after school. I guess it could be during lunchtime, potentially, right? Right, so, so schools can limit time and place um, for you know, restrictions as long as uh, it's, it's equal. Um, the school also retains the ability to regulate and restrict clubs that um, interfere with orderly conduct, or um, they, they have the right to maintain order and discipline on school premises uh, to protect the well-being of students. Um, but so long as a Christian club is not posing any danger or risk to the school, it, it should be allowed in the same way as other clubs. Yeah, definitely. And uh, if any of them have any issues, any pushback at any time, people should contact us at Pacific Justice Institute. Once again, we've got a great uh, book called uh, Reclaim Your School. Free download, folks. Talks all about the empowerment of students, ministers, parents, teachers, school board members on how they can really reshape their schools uh, in a very positive way. Public schools, folks, as you know, are so dangerous. Uh, Spiritual genocide is taking place as far as I'm concerned. So this is something positive and proactive for those kids who, for whatever reason, have not been able to be homeschooled, be part of a church homeschool co-op or a private Christian school. Um, And it's particularly helpful in those states, well, it's really all across the country where public schools have uh, become so detrimental in so many ways. Now, um, what about secondary schools? Many people seem to think that um, this might be limited to just high schools, ninth through 12th grade. Does the Equal Access Act uh, apply to elementary schools? So, so that is a good question. The, the Equal Access Act is limited to secondary schools. Um, but for those in an elementary school, for example, um, it doesn't mean that uh, students have no protections. Uh, public elementary schools still must comply with the First Amendment. Yeah, that's uh, very, very true. Uh, and, uh, and I know we, we provide not only counsel, but also legal representation as well, don't we? 
We do. Uh, a lot of times, uh, all it really takes is a little bit of education. So writing a letter um, oftentimes does the trick. Uh, but if, if that doesn't work, uh, we are prepared to litigate uh, if appropriate. Real quick, uh, we just have a little time left, but uh, you do have a case you've been involved in, I know, involving Estellas Pharma, uh, dealing with several, about 11 employees. They were not denied religious exemptions with regards to the, uh, I believe it was the, the COVID vaccine. Is that right? That's right. And, and we have officially filed in federal court in the Northern District of Illinois. Now, Soren, this... I mean, this is heavy-duty litigation. You've got, you know, 11 clients, 11 employees. Um, I know this is just one of your, your cases that you're engaged in, uh, but I think it's a reminder of, I mean, all the work that takes place in just one case. These are 11 clients, but it's one case, I understand. So it takes a lot of work, doesn't it? It does take a lot of work, but it's also a great privilege. Yeah. Well, uh, Soren, uh, keep up the great work. And folks, uh, please keep Soren in your prayers as he continues this important and other litigation. Pacific Justice Institute invites you to join in the fight to protect our religious liberties. Consider volunteering in one of our California offices or become an affiliate attorney. Visit our website to find out more, pji.org. And while you're there, subscribe to our Legal Insider to keep updated on all of our current cases. Pacific Justice Institute. Together, we can make a difference. So folks, just remember, it's our God-given freedoms we're talking about. Now, let's choose to keep them. I'm Brad Dacus, president of the Pacific Justice Institute. Let's continue the fight for your freedoms. Thank you for listening in today. To find out more about the Pacific Justice Institute or the Dacus Report, call 916-857-6900 or log on to pacificjustice.org.